0: Hi everybody welcome to the Toronto Real Estate Show with Janelle Leslie. I'm Janelle Cameron and today we're going to be talking about mortgages with Georgia Stamatakos from TD Canada Trust.
1: Welcome to the Toronto Real Estate Show with the Janelle Cameron team, the podcast that helps make your real estate dreams a reality. The Janelle Cameron team is your expert source for all things real estate in the greater Toronto area. Whether you're considering a renovation to improve your return on investment, looking at homes for the very first time, or even considering becoming an agent yourself, we've got you covered.
0: Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great week. Um, Leslie's not with us today, but she will be joining us next week. Uh, We do have a great special guest today, Georgia Stamatakos from TD Canada Trust. She is a mobile mortgage specialist, and she's here today to talk all about mortgages in an expert way that Leslie and I cannot do. Welcome, Georgia.
2: Hi, Janelle. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being here. Um, you might just want to move your mic a wee bit closer. Um, so, yeah, so today there's been so much going on in the mortgage industry. So many people are unsure about what's happening, including me, with all the new changes and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we thought we'd just get a really a general overview of what's happening with mortgages right now. Um, Why don't we start just by talking about how you're finding the market? Yeah, the market has been a little bit busy. (laughs) (laughs) For the last few months. A little busy,
2: yep. 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 Um, Cues have been very long. I'm sure people have noticed that their approvals have been taking a little longer to come back. But it seems to be slowing down a little bit now. I think the last few weeks have kind of tapered off.
0: Yeah, I found that too, yeah. So that's a good point before we kind of dive in. The length it's taking for people to get approval would you say that's doubled in time? I'm hearing a lot of different conflicting reports. At
2: at a minimum, it's doubled in time, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm finding that I think people's situations are far more complex as well than they used to be before. Right. People have rental properties. They have changed their income possibly or been impacted by covid by into their income so there's a lot of factors that
0: need to be reviewed and that does take a little bit more time. Right and then I think you've got a lot of people who I don't know this is maybe not a fair thing to say but it just seems like a lot of businesses are moving at a slower pace than they used to. I don't know why. I think they're I don't know. I have theories but I will not go into that here. Maybe um, we all need a small step back to take our time reset. and reset. Yeah. The-
1: Maybe a good thing. Maybe.
0: (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) That could be a good thing. But I just find, you know, I'm used to people responding in all ways quickly. And now I can't, you know, it seems like I send an email to someone out here for days. It's kind of driving me crazy. But I've (laughs) got to learn how to. Um, Anyway, okay. So I think most people know there was... uh, you know, new stress tests implemented recently, new changes to the mortgage industry. That might be a good place to start because I think a lot of people are wondering about how that affects them and what exactly that means. That's probably a huge can of worms to open, but uh, maybe we can talk first a little bit about the new stress test and how that goes.
2: Absolutely. So there was an adjustment to the stress test. Uh, We were basically at prime plus 2% to a maximum of 4.79. And then as of June 1st, uh, they implemented uh, a different number when it comes to people who have less than 20. Sorry, who have more than 20% down when they're purchasing. So uninsured purchases uh, now have to qualify at a rate of 5.25% versus the prime plus 2% or 4.79, whichever is higher.
0: Okay. So I come in to see you and I'm trying to get a mortgage and and maybe before I could you know, I qualified for an $800,000 home. That's a pretty big difference then, isn't it?
2: It's not as big, I think, as people would imagine that it is. It basically impacts your buying power by about 4%. Okay. So if you qualified for a half a million dollar mortgage before June 1st, then after June 1st, you qualify for about 20000 less in your mortgage financing. Okay. So if you But however, it is a good idea to recheck what you were qualified for before because if you didn't make a purchase before June 1st, then you are impacted. So, and that's, I think, an important distinction to make Mm. is that it will impact you based on your purchase date. So if you purchased before June 1st, for example, closing in August, or maybe you bought a builder deal closing in 2022 or 23, you are grandfathered under the old rules. But if your purchase date is after June 1st, then this new qualifying rate will impact your buying power.
0: Okay, okay, that makes sense. Is there anything anybody can do to try to help that situation? Or there's just, that's just how it is, you know? That's just how it is. That's just how it is, yeah. That's, yeah, what are you going to do? There's nothing that you can do.
2: I mean, there is always the concern of the market and people over-qualifying. So there, these are just parameters that banks and governments have put in place to be mm-hmm. able to make sure that people aren't, getting in over their heads when it comes to mortgage debt.
0: Now, what if you came up with more down payment? Will it still affect
2: you? Well, that's exactly what some people have to do is that if they are cut back by 20 or 30 or 40,000 and if they are qualified to their maximum qualification, then yes, the only way to get into that home that they
0: want is to have a little bit more down payment. Okay. Now, what if you have, um, you know, 50% down or you have a huge amount, does this stress test still apply? Absolutely. Absolutely. The only time it doesn't apply is if
2: you have an insured mortgage, which means you actually have less money down, <laughs> so right. less than 20% down. <laughs> right. That's a different calculation there. But yeah, the amount of money, sadly, I mean, I've been here for 21 years, so I've seen a lot of different things in lending, but the idea of equity lending, the idea that I have so much money down that I can borrow whatever I want no longer exists. Right. So those are the types of programs that disappeared quite a while
0: ago now, yeah, actually. those
2: days are over. 2009, 2010. Right. So.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of people still think that's the way it is, is certainly people I talk to all the time. And I do find in, in, on my side of things, you get people who are They either qualify for way more than they think or way less, but it never seems to be right on.
2: (laughs) It's so true. I find the people who think that they don't qualify tend to qualify for more. Right. Simply because they do live a simpler lifestyle and they're more debt averse by nature. Right. So therefore they just assume, oh, no, I could never afford that. Yeah. Um, But those tend to be your... Your higher qualified clients, who generally don't go to their maximum anyway, that's right. This type of an adjustment wouldn't impact them because they would never think about going to their maximum anyway. So a small internal adjustment on our numbers doesn't really impact
0: their buying ability. Right? Yeah, it's it's a tough position for. I mean, I did have clients that this directly impacted, and normally I don't. You know, usually it's not down to the wire. You know, or down to the thousandth. But I did have people this year who. Uh, ended up buying before the first of June, thankfully, and were able to get something in their range. And they only had seven hundred thousand, so it would have been a pretty significant difference for them. I think it, you know, all of a sudden they could only afford whatever it was, six seventy or something like that. Yeah. And that was a big difference because they were able to find something at seven, but there was very few options in, under that.
2: Exactly, and I think that's that's the thing. It's if you're in a multiple offer situation, you have to really be careful to. To accommodate for that that four percent differential because that could be the difference between being the winning bid or
0: not being the winning bid. That's right. Yeah. So uh, you know we hear all the time people are saying to us, uh, well, that you know, do you think it'll make a difference? Is that going to cool the market? Uh, you know, because when we went through this the last time, I didn't see any change in in the market maybe for five minutes, but otherwise it just seemed like it went. It was just the same. Have you noticed any difference since June first in terms of? You know, the number of deals that are coming through your desk.
2: Not specifically to June 1st, I don't think. And again, I think the news of a stress test change, I think the news itself or the announcement itself tends to cause a bit of a pause. I won't call it a slowdown. I'll call it a pause. Yeah. But I think overall, once people do understand the impact to their ability, they either make the necessary adjustments or realize, oh, that's okay. I still have room. I can still proceed with whatever my plan is. And people just move ahead. But it really just is the initial shock of the news that does cause people to say, oh, wait a second what's going on? Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's right. It affect, but isn't it funny how even in this scenario, this time, really, I heard a lot about that for maybe three or four days, and then I haven't heard anything about it since. It just kind of disappears and people just move on. And
2: part of that is also the news cycle. I think there's so many other things happening, so much yes. other news out there that it, stuff does tend to get buried. So exactly, we all have to... Just make sure that if you're in it, it's important to you. You want to hear about That's it. Right. But if you're not in it, it's not. Filter something. it out. <laughs> exactly. That's right.
0: Um, one of the things I always wondered about, and I think I know the answer to this, but maybe some of our listeners don't, is if you have a mortgage right now and it's coming up for renewal and you need to renew the mortgage, do all of a sudden you have to now qualify at the new stress test rate? And if so, what happens if you don't? So that's the one good thing that we do have here in Canada is
2: that even though your term comes up for maturity at the end of a five year or three year, whatever term you have, as long as you are not asking for any extra money, if you are just doing a straight renewal, there is no requalification. Okay. So you don't have to worry about where the stress test is. You don't have to worry that, oh my gosh, I just started a new job. I don't have a new pay stub yet. None of that will apply as long as you are not asking for money. If you are asking for money, you want to refinance, you want to buy an investment property, you're thinking about a cottage, then yes,
0: any sort of financing going forward would require requalification of the stress test. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, And that brings up a really good point. I think how I've found COVID working for people from a financial perspective has been you either are really struggling or you have a lot of excess money because you're not spending money on travel. So I do see a lot of people buying second properties, whether that's an investment property or a cottage or whatever the case may be. Um, Are you finding the same thing in in your business? Absolutely. There's been a lot of cottage
2: purchases and there have been quite a few investment property purchases despite the fact that prices have been rising over the last 18 months since COVID came in. So there's a lot of everything and I think you're absolutely right. There is exactly that dichotomy where you have the, the haves have more and the have-nots have less. Yes. And it's, it's an unfortunate it is. circumstance. But. Yeah.
0: Now, have you found with, um, you know, maybe we can just talk about buying a second property a little bit because I think for those people that are interested in doing that, and, and we talk a fair bit about investment property on this show because I have a few and it's something that I'm passionate about, um, you know, we do get a lot of questions about that. Mm-hmm. So from a mortgage qualifying perspective, What do you need to buy a second property? What does a person need to have? You know, how much money do they need to make or how much do they have to put down? All those kind of basics. So it's really hard to say generically what
2: do you need because everybody's circumstances are different. But what I can tell you is, yeah, you do have to be employed, got to have a job. (laughs) You have to be able to carry and afford your own debts. Mm -hmm and then you also have to demonstrate that you can cover any shortfall from any potential rental income you might be earning that may not cover all of the expenses of the property. And you know, the formulas are kind of complicated. It's hard for me to sit here and spout policy. You'll never have me back after right. <laughs> a boring half hour. But but yeah, we can use rental income. We can use potential rental income. We can ask appraisers to give us fair market rent on for example, a condominium that you might want to mm. be considering. But overall, you do have to have a minimum of 20% down, possibly more, depending on what your debt circumstances are, mm-hmm. and meet the formulas as required by each each lender.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I think today, um, a lot of people I find when I talk to them, they think that Oh, it's okay. I'm going to make you know four thousand dollars a month in this property. So even though I, I hardly make any money, I should be able to afford that. They, they don't really understand that you're still qualifying for a whole new mortgage, and whether or not you have renters in there, you have to be able to afford.
2: Absolutely, and I think the other misconception is that they look at it in a vacuum as a single property. They don't. They don't necessarily recognize that their own debts still play into the scenario. That's right. So if you have excessive car loans or you've taken out RSP loans or all of that, your income has to be able to afford those payments as well
0: as the new forecasted payments on the second property. It's yeah. not two separate, It's not a standalone piece. That's right. One of the things I recommend to a lot of people is that they consider buying an investment property if they can't afford to buy a property for themselves. So. Let's say, for example, you know, you live and work in the city. Back in the day when people lived and worked in the city. Uh, and you really can't afford to buy anything in the city. Um, and maybe you can't really afford much over, you know, $400,000. just You just don't have the money for that. So I often will encourage people to buy an investment property somewhere else mm-hmm. and at least get in the market, start making some money. Choose wisely, obviously, but tr- start making some money. You know, you can use that income hopefully to, you know, help you build your further equity that you can, or further down payment that you can buy something in the city. Um, So when it comes to things like that, I guess each person just has to look at their, their, I guess the first thing is how much can they afford anyway, how much mortgage are they going to get and then make that determination. And if they're only getting a small amount of mortgage, it doesn't mean they can't afford to buy something, right? It just means they probably can't afford to buy something here.
2: Exactly. And that's, and and I think you hit it right on the head by saying, yeah, maybe you're not going to buy a condo in downtown Toronto. Maybe you're going to have to go a little bit outside of the city or maybe a lot outside of the city. But if it's an, from an investment perspective, you have to look at the potential growth. And that's where, you know, a customer would be relying on someone like you, their realtor to say, okay, this is where the comps are. This is where it makes sense. And this is where I think we could be in the next five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a good idea. Now, if you can if you do something like that and you and you maybe own the property for five, six years, you're starting to pay down the mortgage, how does it work if people want to take some of that equity from that current property and buy something else? That is 100% allowed. Okay. You can
2: leverage the existing properties that you hold, whether it's your principal residence or or an investment property, and take the equity out through either vehicle, whether that's a mortgage or an, a line of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and both options will give you different benefits or downfalls, yeah. um, depending on how you want to look at it. But, yeah, you can definitely use that as your down payment. That is that is allowed in Canada. So. Yeah,
0: which is, I think, a, a re- also a really good way to, you know, just get your foot in the door, I think, start making some money. You can't uh, win if you don't play, so to speak, right?
2: Well, this is it, and it's almost impossible to time any market. So you almost yeah. have to get in and start yeah. somewhere, yeah. wherever that may be, yes. and
0: just do the best that you can and that's right and hope the markets go your way yeah (laughs) and they so far always do um and that's interesting because we talk about that on this show all the time is that you can't can't time the market and and you know i said last week if if i had a dollar for everybody that had told me over the years uh that they were going to wait until the prices dropped before they bought you know i'd be pretty wealthy but uh like a lot of these people just they've never been able to buy anything ever and they never will you know, because they've, they've missed the boat. So it's it's hard. It's you, you yeah, my advice, and I'm sure yours is the same is just get in, just buy something, right? Just, you you have to get in and ride the wave. And, and I guess that's back to the investment property uh, scenario is that, you know, if you can't afford, don't wait for your dream home here, you're better off buying something somewhere else, making some money on that property, even selling it in five years. Mm -hmm then you've made some money to put down. But if, if you're waiting for two or three years to build more down payment, you're never going to be able to save that kind of money.
2: Well, and unfortunately, that is the case. I mean, unless you are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, it's very hard to save more than ten, twenty thousand $20,000 a year. So yeah. by the time you save that money, based on historical data, the house that you want to afford is, is only that much further out of reach because if you yeah. go up 10000 the price goes up 50000 or right. whatever the number is. But yeah. it's very, it's, I think I've seen and I think it's it's shown for now, which again, it's no guarantee of future returns, right. <laughs> but, you know, your money will grow faster in the market than it does outside of the market. Yes. So yeah. I do think that getting in when you can, when it's, when it's financially sound for you to do so, exactly. it absolutely makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, now, maybe we can talk a little bit about the difference between fixed and variable and what you recommend or, you know, what types of products are available for people. Absolutely. So I think timing the market
2: on purchase price for a home can also be said, or not being able to time a market for that, is, can be also be said for interest rates. So interest rates will fluctuate. Interest rates go up and interest rates go down, much more like a cardiogram than than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think ultimately, you want to be able to have some flexibility. So the options, fixed versus variable um, fixed rates are just what they are, which is fixed for a set period of time. That can be six months to up to 10 years. What is the
0: standard for most people for a fixed rate?
2: So the average, most people take a five-year fixed term Mm -hmm. when they, and I think that's probably the rate that is most advertised by all banks and brokers. That is where That's the level where everybody competes. Now, is a five-year mortgage always the best thing for you? Maybe yes, maybe no. That's something that you want to discuss what your plans are for the property. Um, Maybe you do need something for exactly the the circumstances that you described, which is maybe the plan is you're buying outside of the city for three years and you want to have flexibility. So you want to be able to get out of that mortgage easy. So maybe you do only take a three-year term. Um, Variable rates are variable by nature. So they follow the prime rate. So what is guaranteed over five years or three years, with TD anyways, you can have sometimes both, over, the guarantee is the discount that you get on prime. So again, your rate will fluctuate. So the question to the client is always, can you sleep at night if you hear that prime rate is going up? Because if that's gonna cause you severe stress and anxiety, Probably not the best product right. for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's good. <laughs> but yeah. um, and then of course we have you know the option of mortgage versus mortgage in a line of credit or just line of credit. Mm-hmm. So these are all uh, different vehicles for you to be able to ha- access future equity in your property when it comes to the lines of credit. And I think that can benefit a lot of investors too. Mm-hmm. The, the line of credit, if you leave it floating, is a slightly higher interest rate. However, it gives you the option of interest only payments. Mm-hmm. So again, from an investment property perspective, is it really a main concern to hurry up and pay that mortgage down, or do you want to take some of that extra rental income and pay your own mortgage down where you don't have a taxable benefit to have that mortgage? Yeah. So there's a lot of different strategies that that can be reviewed and looked at and probably even run through, you know, your accountant yeah. <laughs> and see what, what works best for your for your scenario.
0: Yeah. So I think the best case scenario for somebody going down this road is really to sit down with with you someone like you and just really these are all my options this is what my future looks like hopefully exactly like and I think you need to share that goal because Mm -hmm. you know
2: we can't give you the right advice if 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 you're not giving us all of the the true the true picture that we need to see to be able to give you all of that advice yes and I think knowing the options arms you with information which you know that is probably the most important part
0: of any financial decision that you make. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's hard for people sometimes to think longer term too, right? They're kind of just looking at the immediate
2: gratification. (laughs) Yes,
0: especially when it comes to home buying because they think, well, I've just, you know, if they feel the pressure, they feel it now and they just want to get in right away and and make that purchase.
2: Yeah, and I find the same thing goes when people decide their mortgage rate. It's like, oh, I just want a five-year because I don't want to think about it. And I think there's a lot of money left on the table when you have that, that comfort mm-hmm. comes at a cost. Yes. And, you know, you can chase around for an extra five basis points, 10 basis points, but sometimes a variable strategy or a shorter term strategy can actually save you more money over the long
0: run. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's And it's it's interesting. I think um, it all comes down to how risk adverse you might be, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, how about mortgages for people who are self-employed like myself? Is that... Challenging as a rule, or are there extra things people need to do to qualify for a mortgage when you're self-employed? I mean, that might be a lot of people today, given the situation. I would say yes.
2: <laughs> it's been uh, it's been by choice or, you know, or not, yeah, yeah, by choice or by not. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think overall, yes. If you if you're not showing a lot of money and you're keeping a lot of money in your business, that that can make it difficult to qualify. Um, it's again, it's one of those things. I find those. The self-employed people tend to be the ones that, oh, well, but I have 25% down. What do you mean I don't qualify? Right. So it really, you do have to be able to demonstrate, ultimately, anybody, mm-hmm. whether it's salary or not, or uh-huh. you have to demonstrate that you're able to make those payments. Uh-huh. And that will come down to your tax filings. Right. And we do take a two-year average, and that average has to be a reasonable um, difference year over year. Uh-huh. Like you can't have made 10000 last year and 100000 this right. <laughs> year and say, oh, but I make $100,000. So right. <laughs> it needs, it, it like that, that reasonability does have to be there. And, and again, that's where you really need to be transparent with your banker and explain, okay, well, the income may not be here, but here's what my business is doing. And he, so we need to understand fully where that income is coming from and where that ability to make those payments is coming from.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, on that note, just maybe give people a bit of a perspective on qualifying in general, what that looks like, what kind of things are important. I mean, I've always told my clients, your income really is is the key. Your down payment's important, but your income, even if you have a great down payment, if you don't have much income, you're in trouble.
2: Absolutely. Income is very, very important. And and I think for a lot of people, when the income isn't there, we can always look at a cosigner as well. Mm -hmm. That is always an option thankfully a lot of canadian parents are very kind and yeah. generous with their children and it's it's been it's we're able to get where we need to be
0: and how much would that help a person uh, co-signing would you know does it is it dramatically affect what they can afford sometimes yes sometimes it's it's hundreds of thousands of dollars
2: difference yeah. simply because of the circumstance but again it's dependent on the circumstances of the parents um, obviously and I think that's another place where a lot of people think, oh, well, my parents have their home, it's paid off, and, you know, they have, they're have they sitting on a $2 million home with no debt, but, you know, they have a pension income of $16,000. Well, you know, your cosigner has to be able to demonstrate that they can afford their debts and have extra income to help you qualify for wherever your shortfall is. Right. So you do need to be careful with who you're choosing. Um, it's not a guarantee thing. It's one of those things that, again, you need to run through your... Your advisor, right?
0: Yeah, that's a good point because I think um, uh, you know I digress for a minute, but we talk about elderly people. Sometimes I do have elderly people who sometimes need a mortgage, but they obviously they they have a trouble getting one. Sometimes I find that with um, even like a they've got their home paid off and they're buying another one, but maybe there's a gap in between of three months and they have a really hard time getting bridge financing, bridge financing because they're in their 80s and they don't have an income. That's right. Yeah, um,
2: yeah. Uh, ideally, I always I always recommend to clients, even if you don't need a mortgage, you should always have at least a small credit facility. You never know what emergencies are gonna come up. So even if you have 50 or 75 or $100,000, if you never use it, great. Don't pay interest. I agree. But it's, you know, if the roof leaks and you need something or, you know, heaven forbid your kids need help or something, you you have access to that equity. And then it also makes it easier to qualify for that bridge financing as well because mm. then you have that, that relationship with your bank from a secured lending perspective to say, look, I've, I've, I've managed this facility for so long help me get the next one right okay excellent and again it doesn't have to be a half a million dollar mortgage it can be you know yeah a fifty thousand dollar facility just for emergencies that's right
0: yeah that's great advice um now going back to sort of the qualifying aspect for people so um you know we talked about income is there any particular amount of time they need to be at their job for that to matter for you Ideally, you want to be past your probation, right? (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of people
2: this year who did change jobs due to COVID and and many of them actually for a better salary and a better position. Like this isn't all bad news. I don't want to misconstrue anything. So, but I think, yeah, it's like, okay, I'm I'm in a new job. I'm getting 10,000 more. Well, okay, but are you past your probation? Let's make sure that you have the right amount of time in that job. And also, you know, is it the same type of industry or mm-hmm. are you changing industries? That will also have an impact as Interesting. well. Interesting. Okay. So it's, again, it's very hard to speak generically because sure. everybody's circumstance is different. I always like to use the analogy of Big Macs. We're not all Big Macs. Right. Um, even though everybody gets a mortgage, every mortgage is different. Right. And it's right. how you fit within within the different policies and what your circumstances are to help, you know,
0: demonstrate what your affordability actually is. But as a rule, you want to be there a few months. As a rule, you want to be there more than three months. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. And um, in terms of age, does that affect, I know if you're a senior and you don't have any income, but if you're on the young side or on the older side, does that affect your approval? I wouldn't say that it's age. Um, I would say
2: it's more, again, the reasonability of you being able to make the payments. Mm-hmm. So if you are you know, 22 years old and you have never had a credit card. There's no history for us to draw from. You just started your job two months ago. Well, how are, how is the bank going to make a call on your ability to make payments when you've never demonstrated that you've been able to make payments before? Right. So again, I wouldn't say it's age. It's, it's one of those things where you have to manage your finances and your credit history to the best of your abilities and start when it's reasonable for you to do so (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) where you can manage it and pay it on time. But yes, a credit, a good credit history, a deep credit history will make a difference. Um, I know a lot of people who just don't have credit cards. Yes. And I think that's a fantastic way to live because you never pay interest to anyone. But again, unfortunately, that can be the same as having bad credit when you have no credit.
0: Yes. We have talked about that before and everybody, I hope you are listening to this. You need to build some sort of credit.
2: Absolutely. You know, and it can be an RSP loan, yeah, just something, something, yeah, or get a credit card, order pizza once every six months and that's pay right. it off so yeah. you never pay interest. <laughs> I agree 100%, but really you do have to have that credit history because that's how you you show and demonstrate that you're able to take on more and more yeah. credit as your needs change as we get older, right?
0: Isn't that interesting? I, I had a client a few years back and uh, she made a good income. Uh, she was relatively young but uh, I think she was making at that time about 200,000 a year. It was it was a good income and um she had a good down payment, didn't have any credit history at all and yeah. she couldn't get a mortgage. Yes,
2: yeah, so you will probably need a co-signer at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, she
0: did. Yeah, she ended up with her dad co-signing, but it was it was eye-opening, I think even for me at that time. I, I hadn't really realized what an impact that has.
2: Yeah, and I and also just to take one step back to those lines of credit even having a small credit facility available to you like when you do want to move i mean deposits now that are required are are more than you know 10,000 yeah, 20,000% most people don't have that kind of liquid cash in an account where they can stroke a check and and exactly. be able to put their offer in so having those credit facilities again not to use them, but to have them available, help facilitate the the entire process beginning to end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me of uh, credit score in general. What is, you know, what is credit score comprised of? How does that work for people? How do they improve it if it's not very good? Yes, your credit score is a living, breathing
2: thing. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. It can change month to month. And a lot of that will depend on... Primarily, one, do you make your contractual payments on time? That's very important. Um, The second uh, big impactful thing is how much debt do you carry on your available credit limits? So as a rule of thumb, you want to, A, pay everything on time Mm -hmm. or pay more than your minimum payment on time, and you also never want to carry balances that are more than about 50% of your total credit limits. So you have to just be really careful when it comes to paying off credit And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, well, I just closed three credit cards. Well, that sometimes can have a detrimental effect on your credit score because if you drastically reduce your available credit, but you haven't reduced the total debt and that ratio changes, Mm -hmm. that can actually drop your credit score temporarily. Right. And again, it won't be forever. And you can do things to improve your score. You can if, you're, if possible, where possible, reduce your limits, um, increase your minimum payments, mm-hmm. uh, pay more frequently, pay bi-weekly instead of monthly mm-hmm. on your credit cards. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do, and then that algorithm can, can be impacted in a positive way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's important for people to realize, too. It's not somebody who's determining what your score is. It is an algorithm. Yeah. One of the things that caught me off guard at one point, I, I think it may have been one of my first mortgages, is that... Um, I have a big credit card. I have a big credit card uh, amount limit. Yes, and uh, I pay. I pay it off every month. I've never in my life carried a balance on my card Fantastic. ever, but it's substantial. So, and my monthly, you know, credit um, usage is substantial. So, I was going to, I think, get a mortgage many years ago, and and they said, well, you know, you've got whatever it was at the time you know, $18,000 on your credit card. And I said, yeah, but I pay that off every month. Um, but it really impacted, right? Mm-hmm. My Because they looked at that saying, well, that's so much on your credit card. Even if you do pay it off every month, you've got that revolving amount that that affected my credit score. And so... And it's also the debt obligation, right? Cause right.
2: You, by contract, the assumption is, because most cards are, that you have to pay at least 3% of whatever the outstanding balance is. So that's the rule of thumb that most lenders will apply. Mm-hmm. So if you have a balance of $20,000, well 3% is $600. Right. $600 monthly equals almost $150,000 worth of mortgage buying power. Right. So right. you really need to think about where you're putting your cash yeah. um, and how best to, to sometimes, sometimes restructuring that debt, especially if the plan is to purchase 6 to 12 months.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Get in and talk to someone early yes. and have them look at your credit, have a discussion, what can you do to repair bad credit or to just maintain good credit? And then also, if, if necessary, do you need to rejig some of those payments and, and make your, your ratios look a little bit better? Yeah,
0: that is so important and that's such a great tip for people is really to get in and talk to someone sooner than later because I think these are things the general public just doesn't understand, you know, yeah. and especially if you've never gone through it before and you're going through your first or, mortgage or, approval. <laughs> or you went through it a long time ago.
2: Yes. Because the rules are different. That's and, right. And the requirements are different. And, yeah. you know. It was easy before. I think we all used to joke in the early 2000s about, oh, do you have a pulse? You can can get a mortgage.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So, you know,
2: it's a little more complicated than that now. Um, It helps to have a pulse. Yes,
0: um, it does. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we should do, just as an aside, a whole show about credit, how to improve it, how, you know, how to get it in the best position, you know, because there's a lot of people out there struggling with their Absolutely. With their credit,
2: and and I think some people, I, and I don't know how accurate those credit karmas and all those other uh-huh. apps are that work. I think ultimately you want to you want to go to the source, and and I don't think a lot of people understand that you can actually just contact Equifax directly and get a copy of your credit report and your credit score directly from Equifax. Right. It does not count as an inquiry. It's your information to have. It's your right to see it. Right. And I think everybody should do that. It's.
0: Yeah, and that is, okay, we keep thinking of things as you say them. The whole, there's this definite um, opinion out there that every time you ask for your credit score, it lowers your credit score. What is the actual facts on that? So part of the algorithm
2: is um, how often you are looking or seeking for credit. So the, yes, when you do an inquiry, so let's say you go, And sadly, most of these stores are closed. Let's say you go to the Bay and you apply for a credit card because you're going to get a 10% discount. So you apply and you get auto-approved, and that's great. You get your discount, you move on. And then you go to Staples, and Staples says, you know what, if you open a credit card with us, we're going to give you another 15% off. So you apply. So now what you're doing is you are you're going out, you're applying for credit, and all these new facilities keep showing up on your credit bureau. Well, now the algorithm can presume that or may presume that you are now seeking credit, that you cannot afford your lifestyle without collecting all of this extra credit to help you spend money. But So that's one thing. that will That's a negative impact to your score. However, if you're doing a mortgage inquiry and you go to three different banks or brokers or whatever the case may be, you're going to have... An inquiry from each one, yes, and your score will temporarily drop. But the following months, you're only going to get one mortgage. So what will happen is all of those inquiries will eventually get pulled together as one inquiry. So is there a temporary hit? Yes. Is it a long-term
0: hit? Absolutely not. So does that mean somebody should really only be going to one or two places as opposed to five or six places? So I always advise people, find someone...
2: Through through a connection, somebody that you know or that they know who knows the right answers and can give you the best possible approval. Once you have the best possible approval, then asking for rates everywhere else is just a question. No one has to check your credit to give you a rate. Right. So I think ultimately the most important thing is to get to the right person to get the right qualification amount, mm-hmm. because everything else is just getting a rate is easy. Right.
0: Um, and here's a question about rates for you. Do you find that Most banks are pretty similar. If somebody, you know, goes to TD or they go to Scotia, is there going to be a lot of difference? How do people know where to go? Well, I think that's a good question. So I think ultimately we are
2: all within about 5 to 10 basis points of each other. And with a little push and shove, you, we're all, we all have the same floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we yeah. will all go to the same bottom eventually. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the trick is knowing where that bottom is. Right. And, and sometimes it's a guess even for us. We don't know. We, right. we, we try. We try our best to fight for our clients and get the best possible rates. And that's the best that we can do. I mean, the hard thing is again, and I remind you and everyone else that I can't time it. Um, I don't know when the rates are going to change. And you know, I've had a lot of people call me one day, and I've quoted a rate, and then they don't they don't leave me any information, and then the rates change, and then they call me a week later, and they're like, "Oh, but you said I could have this rate," and I'm like, "Yeah, but you never got back to me. I wasn't able to hold anything." So. Ultimately, you want someone who is searching and ho- searching for the best rate, and then holding that best rate for you. Most of us, most banks can hold for up to one hundred and twenty days while you're sh- while you're shopping for your house. Okay, and that's a great security because if the rates are going up, at least you're locked in at that lower rate. And even better, if rates go down, you'll get that better rate as well. Yeah. So, but having somebody with you through that process makes a huge difference because if you're just coming in cold off the street, I mean, mm-hmm. that's. I don't know. You could, If
0: you had talked to me a week ago, I might have had a better rate. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. I think your business and mine is so much about relationships. Absolutely. And who you feel comfortable with. And that's, I think, really important, right? You want to choose someone working for you no matter what they do, whether it's your car mechanic yes. or your mortgage specialist, who you feel comfortable with, who has your best interest at heart, who you know is going to do their best job for you. Absolutely. And I think that's that's the key. And so, you know, at the end of the day sometimes those small basis points probably don't even really matter, right? They really they don't
2: in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a difference of maybe ten dollars a month, right? Which I guess is important. Every dollar does count. But sometimes it's a difference between having a little bit more prepayment privilege. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's um, better features on the back end. Like, is that mortgage portable? Can you break that term? Like mm-hmm. there are other, And unfortunately, most first time home buyers don't think about the next part of it, which is what happens to the process and how does that process change when you're buying a new house and selling at the same time. That's right. So do you have, how many days do you have to port that mortgage? You know, some banks are more restrictive than others. Mm. And I think all of those features, unfortunately, never get discussed on the outset because the phone call is always, what's your best five-year five, eight, five year rate? Right, right.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not, can I put this mortgage in 10 <laughs> years, right? <laughs> yeah. You're right. And I think, you know, mortgage penalty is a big one that I have to deal with on my side because that will sometimes put people off buying altogether if they're in the wrong product and their penalty yeah. can sometimes be huge over the years, right? Absolutely.
2: Sometimes it can be huge. Sometimes it's worth paying. Sometimes it's worth paying. So it really yeah. just depends on getting the right math and, and looking at it. And again, most mortgages are portable. Yeah. So the only time where I've seen, you know, big issues come up with these, these high penalties is when people no longer qualify with their institution. Yes. There's been a change to their finances right. or to their job situation where they no longer meet a profile or a model and... Generally speaking, that's the reason why those those penalties become an issue. Right. For the most part, any rate is portable.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, which is great as long as you're. Yeah. It just depends on the situation you're in as exactly. well. Yeah. Now, in terms of um, you know mortgage approval process, how early should a person start that when they're intending to buy? As soon as possible. So you know, a couple months in
2: advance, sort of. Thing. I would say the moment you start thinking you want to buy a house your first call should be to get pre-approved. Okay. Because you don't want to be shopping in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be falling in love with a million-dollar home when your budget is half a million dollars. And it's important to know and understand that. Yeah. Um, That's
0: what we always say on this show. (laughs) First step, do not come out. Do not ask me to show you properties if you've not been approved. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, we... We don't want to be tour guides in our own city. Oh no, not (laughs) so so much. Yeah, (laughs) Or tourists in our own city for that matter. So we just want to make sure that you have the right information and that you're properly armed so that when you are reaching out to a real estate agent, you know that you're going to the right areas and you're going to the right price
0: points. Yeah, exactly. The other thing too is that I just want to point out after having gone through this process many times is that you have a lot of documents you have to gather. And so you want to find out what those are as soon as possible so you can start collecting them because we uh, don't all yes. have that stuff in our fingertips. No, we don't.
2: And 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 a lot of people don't file their taxes on time. That's right. right. So, it's important to know and understand what you need so mm-hmm. that you can be properly armed because not having the right information can make the process very bumpy and very uncomfortable and very frustrating. Yeah. And sometimes it even helps when we're coming to the end of a year, sometimes it helps to understand what do my taxes have to look like next year? M- you know, can I make this look better? I'm, you know, what what am I declaring and what am I writing off and how much of that needs to happen? Again, it, with the advice of your accountant, please. Um, yeah. But I mean, a lot of times, you know, people know like that they have more bonus money coming in. So they know that at the end of the year, that bonus is coming. That's not going to reflect until they actually get that T4. Yeah. So we just, there's, Information is important and that's why getting the, the process started quickly is important.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's so true. I think the from my perspective, and again, I'm not the expert, but you know, filing your taxes on time, not making any major purchases of vehicles or anything like that right before you're about to try to get Absolutely a mortgage. Not. Do not do that. Not changing jobs.
1: Yep.
2: Stay where you are. <laughs> yes,
0: these are these are things that are important while you're getting pre-approved, and then once you've got the mortgage change away.
2: Exactly. And even during the pre-approval process, if there is a change, maybe reach out and be proactive because your advisor may not know of that change. Mm-hmm. So, it's your it's your responsibility to keep us apprised so that we can make sure that you still qualify. You don't qualify for less, or maybe in a good instance, it might mean you qualify for more. So, Mm -hmm. why not have that information? That's right. So, be forthcoming and have that relationship and build on it over time. And again, your mortgage professional doesn't have to leave you after the first transaction. This isn't the last house you're going to buy. That's right. (laughs) Inevitably, you're going to go through this process again, whether it's, you know. Although they never think they will. No, they never do. But you will. Trust me, you will. Yes, you will. Inevitably, that kitchen needs to be redone or the basement needs to be redone or kids have to go to university. And there's always something that requires us looking and revisiting our finances. It is, it's not, it's not a static thing.
0: That's right. Yeah. Um, Now, the one thing I was going to ask about pre-approval as well is that do things count in your... Uh, income things like child support or spousal support that's a question people often ask yeah it's
2: very important uh, when you if you are going through that circumstance where you are separating from a spouse or have separated from a spouse absolutely that agreement is imperative it's necessary for you to qualify for financing for many reasons um not the least of which is income because, yes, child support, whether you collect it, it can be used as income. If you pay it, it has to be included as a debt. Right. And then the other the other factor is the matrimonial home. Inevitably, there's a home that's sold or equity in a property that needs to be adjusted. The bank needs to know how much are you getting and what are the terms of that separation in order for you to be able to access that money. Yeah. So always, always, always need a separation agreement. Um in those circumstances. Right.
0: And again, you know, so important to get the ball started uh, quickly because, you know, if you've been separated or divorced a long time, you may not even know where that is. Absolutely. And all of a sudden someone asks you for it and you have to try to pull it out. So, um, yeah, these are all the things that have happened over the years where people have said, they want my separation agreement. Keep a soft copy of all important documents.
2: (laughs) Exactly. File everything else in a safety deposit box, but keep a soft copy. Exactly.
0: But, you know, so crucial because you don't think of all these little components that you might need and going through a mortgage approval process you know once you've done it once it becomes relatively easy because you have your stuff together but it's it's you know it's not for the faint of heart it really isn't it really isn't for the you faint know of heart. Absolutely. you have to you have to put some work in
2: absolutely and yeah. you know those documents it's funny i i'm just saying like you know sometimes they're not signed well they need to be signed. Yeah, that's, so make
0: sure you save the right copy. <laughs> is all I'm saying. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, good point. Um, anything else you can think of that might be important for people to know? At where we're at, you know, right now with um, with COVID and people's jobs, and I don't know if there's a um, you know anything that you've come across that might be important to point out.
2: I think I think the most important thing to remember is just. Don't panic. Yeah. If you have a question, reach out to somebody, whether that's someone like me or a real estate agent. Ask the questions and get the right information. Yes. And take the referral. Sometimes you don't take the mortgage, but you might get the information that you need. And it's important to to speak to someone that knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, the news cycle is the news cycle. And, you know, bad news always trans- travels fast or the shock always comes out. And people don't... if we don't know how that applies to us and it's so important to take the time and understand what the implications of that news is so yeah just do it take a deep breath and
0: yeah and it's all okay it's going to be fine
2: you'll we'll get what you need don't worry <laughs> <laughs> and if the pre approval takes you know 2 weeks don't worry that's not yeah, an impl- that's, that's not okay. a that's not a judgment call on the the quality of your file it really is just <laughs> yeah, you know right. things do take longer they do and it's yeah. and it's okay that they take longer and yeah. i think ultimately in Canada, we've been fortunate. We have had a, we have always had a very strong market, and we do all the right things in our banking system yeah. to
0: protect us from from bad things happening. So I think it's all good news. I think so, too. I cannot believe I actually forgot to ask you. This, this is kind of the, the question I wanted to lead with, and it totally <laughs> lost, gone from my radar. I'm having one of those days I'm having a hard time speaking even. Um, the financing condition and an offer, right? Mm-hmm. So we all know where we're at right now in terms of, you know, it's almost impossible to have a condition in your offer. I mean, yes, 99% of the time you're in competition with other people. If you have any type of condition in that offer, you're not getting the house. That's just how it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So, how do you manage that on your end?
2: It's having the hard
0: conversations
2: with people. So, for some people, their financing is such that It really doesn't matter, and I will get into that detail in a moment. But for some people, it really does matter, and I'll explain why. (laughs) So so one thing to remember is when you do get a pre-approval, your bank or your advisor or your mortgage broker is qualifying you as an individual. So we can tell you what you qualify for based on your income and your debt obligations and whatever down payment you have. We put all those factors together, and we tell you this is your maximum purchase price. And then what happens is when it gets to the point where we turn that pre-approval into an approval – the second part of the process is, does that property meet the standards of the lender, mm-hmm. and that unfortunately is the unknown part so by that, I mean that if the, you buy a house and you bid and you bid over or you give fair market like, you 're still paying fair market value i don 't want to make a judgment call, so please don 't misunderstand me but it's it 's just you go in and you pay a million dollars for a house. part of the approval process now is that we have to get a third party opinion on that value, which means the bank or lender is going to send in an appraiser to say, okay, what is this house worth on the market? And that that appraiser is going to give us a value. And if that value is a million or more, which is what you paid for it or more, then that's great. Your financing is fine. Unfortunately, sometimes it comes in a little bit less. And when it does come in less, we have to use that lesser value. doesn't matter that you paid a million. If the appraiser says it's worth 900, I have to go based on 900. Can you get another appraisal? you can get a second opinion. Absolutely, you can. Um, And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't, just to be fair. Um, I've had had it go both ways. (laughs) (laughs) So ultimately, the conversation that that needs to be had in these circumstances is, okay, I'm approving you to a maximum. You're taking all of your down payment. You have zero money left. So you have 20% on a million dollars, but if it's short On the value you have to come up with that difference so i can give you 80 percent of 900 but then you have to get to a million dollars on your own so the question is do you have someone who can help you is there a family member who can gift you some money to get you where you need to be so those people who are using all of their assets on this purchase are more susceptible and need to be more cautious in in those circumstances now if you're buying a million dollars and you have half a million dollars down well the appraisal comes in a half a, a hundred thousand less, it's not going to impact your ratios. Right. You're not worried about having less than twenty percent down payment yeah. on that number. So really, again, it's case by case, uh-huh. it's customer by customer, yeah. and you really need to have a really good understanding of what's going on and what that full process is. A lot of people just stop at the pre-approval. Like, yeah. Oh, I qualify for this much. Let's go shopping. Uh-huh. Okay. But there are ramifications. There's still stuff to do down the road. It's not all done at that point.
0: Yeah. And you know, that is so important to remember because I have to say, honestly, in all these years I've done this job, it's never happened to me where someone has not got an appraisal, but I've had it on the other side where I've sold the property and I've actually had appraisers call me and say, somebody just paid X amount on your property. What, like, what am I not seeing? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of this comes down to your realtor guys. Like you have to work with someone you choose uh, that you trust, that you know, that they're not going to steer you down the wrong path. Because I can tell you, mostly whether it's going to appraise or not. Yeah. You know, I've got. I'm going to have a pretty good sense as will all the good realtors out there. We're going Absolutely. to know. Um, so you know, if the last sale was 850 and I'm suggesting you spend one two, then we've probably got a problem. <laughs> But if the last sale, you know, was 1-1 and now you're about to spend 1-2 and the market's inflating at a crazy, you know, fast pace, then it's probably going to be okay. So you really need to understand, uh, you know, the the numbers and the history and and all that kind of stuff too.
2: Absolutely. The comparables Um, have to be there.
0: Yeah. And, it, and in these days, it's even hard, I think, with comparables. I don't know if you found that with, with the appraisers, but... Um,
2: That's generally where appraisers have the hardest time. Right it's, now. Yeah. yeah. It's Even historically. It's, mm-hmm. it's when it's the one-off sale, right? Where right. there is nothing in the vicinity right. that has sold right. except that particular yeah. property. And it's very hard to draw it's very those hard. comparables. But I'm
0: even thinking in Durham region this year, where prices have gone up 45 46% over the year. I think it's really hard for... Appraisers to look at a price and a house and say, "Well, I don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. I know it was sold for five hundred last year, but they're all selling for seven fifty now. So I guess it's okay." <laughs> it gets pretty hard. It's impossible for them to, it's true. to it's see true. the future. So there is some of that going on too. I think, um I don't know. You find this probably more than I do because you deal with these these appraisers all the time. But I would say it's harder for them right now to assess value than it's ever been. Absolutely, certainly it is for me. Yeah, and it's yeah. and
2: it's hard when 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 banks and governments are talking about the potential over or the news is talking about you know the over the possible over inflation of prices. Right. Then everybody starts to get more cautious right, right. All the way yeah. down the line, and
0: gee, never heard that before in the last yeah, twenty years, never. like every month. Never. <laughs> uh, but no, you're right. It's it's impossible. I told the story on this show a while ago. My sister bought a house uh, about uh, a year and a half ago, and she paid five sixty for it and then the exact same house sold a year later, only on a smaller lot, for eight sixty. So, you know, these properties went up three hundred thousand dollars in a year. Yeah, I know. I mean, who's ever going <laughs> to, how could you ever have seen that coming? You
2: can't predict it. No. You, you can't predict where prices are going to go. You can't predict where rates are going to go. You can't predict any part of the process, which right. again, lends to, you just have to kind of close your eyes and
0: hold your nose and jump in whenever yeah. you're able to. That's it. And, and, and with confidence that, you know, you're, yeah. you're, <laughs> you're not going to blow your brains out on a house Absolutely that's, not. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's way, that's way out of your range. And I think that's, people get caught up in it and you have to um, make sure that they don't you know, they don't get Yes. Always within with the always within your
2: means and always within your comfort level. But I think, you know, for to sit on the sidelines and say, Oh, well, I'm gonna wait because everybody's saying you know, the market's gonna oh, go yeah. down. Good luck with that. I just it's it's impossible. It could it, it may, it may go down, but it it may come right back up again. Yeah. And, and I don't it's not going down. And I don't think we ever know a correction until we are coming out of it. It's so. true.
0: And I, I mean I don't think we've ever in two thousand and eight we had a very small what I would call I don't even think it was really a correction, it was a flattening. And I think that's the, really the only time I've ever. Yeah, and that
2: lasted about six months. Yeah, and by the time we realized we were in it, we were already we were out, out of it. it.
0: That's right, or coming out yeah. of it at, at, at a bad. And minimum. it's not like prices really dropped; they just sort of went flat. Yes. So yeah, interesting. I think that's a that's a bad move. <laughs> don't don't wait, everyone. I feel for you. Don't Absolutely. wait. Um, okay, I guess that's probably all we need to cover today, unless there's anything else you can think of.
2: I I think that's pretty good. That's a lot of information. That's a (laughs) lot of information,
0: probably. Hopefully everyone's still listening. (laughs) I started, like, oh, my head is spinning. I have to tune out. Um, Anyway, I think that'd be great to have you back one time, and we'll talk about, um, yeah, that whole credit aspect. I think that's really important. I know a lot of people are always interested in knowing how to improve or what they need to do. Absolutely. So, okay, now tell us where everyone can reach you and find you. Absolutely. You can reach me at
2: Georgia.Stamatacos at td.com. You can give me a call at 416-618-1912, and I'm happy to help in any way I can.
0: Awesome. And are you
2: on social media? Uh, I am getting on social media <laughs> Okay. shortly. By the time you invite <laughs> me back, I will have all those details.
0: Okay, good. In the meantime, guys, we're going to link everything in our social media as well as on the podcast uh, so you can reach out. If you want to and need to, and I think uh, George is a great person to talk to if you need, you know, anything uh, relating to mortgage information. So that would be that would be good for you to do. So. Um, thank you for listening and please follow us on all of our social. It is at the Janelle Cameron team on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And of course, we always appreciate it. If you uh, like our content, send questions in, obviously subscribe, always happy to have you here. And we love your questions. And uh, it's because of everyone who asked about mortgages that you're here today. So thanks again. And I wish you happy real estate and we'll talk to you next week.
1: We hope you've enjoyed the Toronto Real Estate Show with the Janelle Cameron team. But more importantly, we hope you feel better informed and enthusiastic about your real estate future. We know buying and selling can be stressful, so let us help. If you're looking for hands-on support in the Greater Toronto Area, the Janelle Cameron team from Remax Hallmark Realty is ready to assist. Visit JanelleCameron.com. That's J-E-N-E-L-L-E Cameron.com or dial 416-486-5588. Join us again next week as we deliver more content to help you reach your real estate dreams.